yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still here after all these years, after all these tears I shed. Welcome back to I'm Still Here. I'm Larry. And I'm Heather. In 1998, at the age of 26, I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. It changed everything for us, but I'm still here. And we have a big one today. We're excited. A huge one. You guys are going to love this. Uh, we have Dr. Mariver, who is who? My oncologist from the University of Michigan. Since day one. Since day one. She's the real day one. The real day one. Yeah. I agree. We're coming up on my 24-year anniversary. So mm-hmm. we've known each other for a long, long time. And, oh, man, she's so smart and kind and insightful. And So all the stuff that, you know, you go through and we've <laughs> talked about and we're like, you know, this is how we felt. And I and she said this. And all of that was it. intentional. <laughs> like... She, yeah. she meant all of that to get the result that it got. It just it blows my mind. So she's awesome, yeah. and the work she does is awesome. And uh, uh, we're, we yeah. we did so much. We're gonna break this into two. So enjoy part one, and then um, the following week we'll we'll finish it up. So happy listening. Yep. All right. Well. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we have such a special guest here today. We're so excited. Um, Today, my oncologist, Dr. Sophia Mariver, has joined us, um, and I know a lot of people have been asking uh, for me to to have you on, Dr. Mariver, and I was wondering if you could just start out by introducing yourself a little bit. Sure. I can't imagine why people are asking, but okay, here I am. (laughs) So anyways, uh, no, um, it's such a pleasure to be uh, with uh, Heather and Larry, and uh, I think uh, they've done a wonderful job of introducing women to the topic and men and everyone. So I am Sophia Mariver. I am a professor at the University of Michigan for most of my career, and I went to medical school in Michigan, and uh I fell in love with killing cancer, so I have uh, spent my whole life getting up in the morning to kill cancer and uh, figure out new ways to help patients do better. Yeah, so I I think that's um, a very modest um, introduction. I know that you've done a lot of research and a lot of different things um, in terms of leading the cancer center and uh, I appreciate all of that. And for uh, the people who've been with me for a while, you'll there's the term right there, killing cancer. That's one of the things that's kind of been my um, my motto, my mantra. Well, and that it, was your mantra because she made it your and mantra. It, and it started with you. So yeah. well, thank you. Well, I have a question just to start off. Like um, all those years back, I don't know how many years again. Did we meet Almost Dr. Twenty four. It'll be twenty four next week. Twenty four years next week, right? So week about of how Christmas. long? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Uh, about how long were you practicing at Michigan prior to us meeting you? So, so I was. Um, I had been in my own clinic. Um, I. I was just starting, so 24 years ago, that would put us in 1998, right? So, yeah, so I had had um, my own small lab for about 
uh, two years maybe. And I have had my own clinic for maybe about three or four years as an oncologist, as a board certified oncologist. And uh, so, you know, I was board certified in internal medicine and then board certified in oncology. So I have been doing cancer work uh, in the clinic full time for that length of time, about three, four years. But I really knew I was going to go into cancer a long time before then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, you know, that was the specialty of medicine that at the time was really at the forefront of um, the relationship between the patient and the lab. Okay. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to make discoveries in the lab that train the, new, the next generation of scientists and physician scientists. And then I was able to then translate the science to the clinic. So there, so was, I, yeah. there was multiple aspects of that. You didn't want to just be uh, with patients, but you knew that the research part of it was also. And the training. And the training was such oh, a yeah. big. Doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to have all of it. Yeah. And I never worried too much about how complicated it would be or how complex. And it is so unlike, I think, how young people think today, right? I, it never even crossed my mind. Maybe it's going to be a lot of work. Maybe the hours will be terrible. Maybe I'll have so much to read and memorize and understand that I'll never do anything else. All of those things that people mention these days, um, I have to say they never crossed my mind. And, you know, I just, my love of medicine uh, was my treat, you know, okay. was my, uh, you know, my uh, life goal so much mm -hmm. that it was such a privilege, you know. Uh, I recognized even as a child that medicine was such a privilege. There is a funny story in my in my family that may have had something to do with my destiny. You know, my parents were very poor. They were second cousins. So they fell in love as children. And uh, it's unclear they were extremely well matched, but <laughs> it was their destiny. So they were very poor. Neither, neither family had so mm -hmm. much had much money and my father started medicine and he was one year away from graduation and um he had he was in the emergency room and a father and a son came uh through an accident came in and he took care of the father and his friend took care of the son the son passed and then it was his job to go tell the father that his son had died and so he did that and then he took off his coat and walked away and never finished medicine. Wow. And he enrolled in law school. Okay. And instead of taking three years or four years for law school, he finished all of law school in a year and a half and then told his parents, well, today is graduation day and they all dressed up and they thought they were going to his graduation of medical school. And he said, no, I have something to tell you. I'm actually becoming a lawyer today. So anyway, so this is the unfinished business of my life. This is this, I grew up with this story. Okay. And so even though I was very much inclined to many things, 
I somehow needed to finish that journey. So, yeah. yeah. So I, my interest in medicine started pretty much when I was five, six years old. And uh, if anybody was sick, I always wanted to know everything about it. And I started uh, talking too much, you know, about people's illnesses and in asking all kinds of impertinent questions. And everybody seemed to want to tell me Okay. things even as a child and then questions I would ask I would ask people if they were mentioning to my parents that they had stomach pains or something and I would say well when does it hurt when you begin eating uh, when you are full when you're hungry right. you know I mean totally in, in, inappropriate but they were okay questions to ask because I was trying to figure out how does the digestive system work? And mm -hmm. so my parents kept giving me books to read, like high school texts, mm -hmm. you know, biology high school texts. My father still had some medical school texts. So I started reading those as a child. And, um, and pretty, pretty soon I was kind of practicing medicine uh, without a license. You know, <laughs> I was giving all kinds of advice okay. and people seem to think the advice helped them. So yeah. they came back for more. Okay. And even before I went to medical school and I had my PhD in physics of all things, you know, which is first I went to graduate school in the United States. I didn't go directly to medical school. I could not afford any of that. So I went to physics school uh, because I wanted to study science. And all of my friends uh, would hardly ever go to the doctor. They would just call me. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I couldn't prescribe anything. So eventually I said, this is enough. I'm going to go to jail from practicing medicine <laughs> without a license. So I better go to medical school. So where did you do your undergrad? Was that in the United States or was that? No, yeah, I finished in the United States. I came um, with only two. You see, the university in Argentina is right after high school. Yeah. You specialize. So I decided to go into physics because I figured I'll study medicine or or yeah. I will use science to cure diseases. Maybe I don't need to be a doctor. I'll just be a scientist. Uh, so all those things went through my mind in those days. But then um, the university was being closed all the time because there was political upheaval. So my mother gathered all the pennies and bought me the ticket. Wow. And I left. And uh, I left with two suitcases, one full of books and one with four changes of clothes and I had a hundred bucks yeah wow. in my pocket so you did you did med school ten dollar bills <laughs> what you did med school at U of M yeah so yeah. how how much do you think doing med school at the University of Michigan has formed or equated to you doing what you're doing now how oh totally doing? yeah totally you know when I first moved to Ann Arbor um, you know, I thought to myself, golly, how do I end up in this place? Everybody seems so healthy and happy walking down the street, you know, people are buying, you know, M clothes. And <laughs> it's like, everybody's happy cheering for the team. What's going on? I'm going to go to medical school. There's not going to be anybody nearly as sick as I used to, you know, hear about in Argentina, but boy, what you know everything walks through the door and yeah. i learned very quickly that uh well you know michigan has completely shaped my everything about the way i think the way i do things 
And uh, I'm, I, I hope I have taken the very best it has to offer and try to even elevate it more. It has always been my, uh, my goal to, to bring whatever place I'm at to the next level if I can. There's always something you can do better. Sure. And you taught me that, Heather <laughs> and Larry. You know, you you would have no trouble complaining to me about things, even though you knew that, you know, I didn't really control this or that or the other right. thing. But I always wanted to hear, if you recall, because everybody reflects on everyone. Mm-hmm. So if, if everyone doesn't try their best every single day, the place is only as good as the lowest performing person. Right. I always. Sure. Feel- but also when you were talking about that, it. it- reminds me of kind of our initial meeting too. Um, I want to talk about our conversation here in a second, but the other big thing that was such an impact to me was I had just left a place where I was such an anomaly. Like it just felt like I was the only one who had ever been diagnosed at my age and in my stage and everything else. But that was one thing that was kind of so comforting about coming into Michigan is that they you see everything there so I didn't I felt like I it kind of felt good to just Mm -hmm. have them say sit down and join the rest of this crowd Mm -hmm. of people that we're we're going to help everyone Mm -hmm. you know yeah with the best quality of life that we can find you know yeah yeah that's uh well that's how I think it should be um Mm -hmm. that is uh that is what I felt needed to happen to you and to and to everyone, I think nobody should feel like an anomaly. If every you know somebody is ill, they are ill in their own peculiar way. So everyone is an anomaly in a way, and no one's an anomaly. Sure. So everybody is special. Everybody has their own set of circumstances. Even if the illness is very similar, right. some people have a lot of support. Some people have medium support. Some people we are their best friends. They have no one else. Yeah. Uh, so all people, people from all walks of life, all professions, cancer doesn't discriminate. And, right. uh, you know, but some people have a much harder time coping. And, and that's why some of our initial conversations, and you've mentioned that in your book, and mm-hmm. you've always talked about it. And I've, I've always been very moving to me that you even remember it, but the stage for everything. It did. What it was you, so impactful. Do you recall? Do you recall? Our well, first I remember thinking, uh, I remember talking to your brother. Yeah. What a, what a, and, and the, you know, I have a great, I have a great crazy sister. And so when I was talking to your brother, I was thinking, boy, if this were me, it would be my sister talking yeah. to my future doctor, you yeah. know, because, you know, just he was, uh, he would not be dissuaded, not that I wanted to, but you know what right. I mean? He, he kept asking uh, all the questions, but first of all, he got a hold of me. I remember it was Friday, right? Friday mm-hmm. afternoon, because obviously mm-hmm. I was in the lab because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always in the lab. Something's be, never changed. You know, and so, yeah, he got a hold of me and, you know, I was I was always of the philosophy that, of course, in those days, we didn't walk around with cell phones, but I always gave uh, my patients my home phone. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the cell phone equivalent of those days. Yeah, and I had done that 
from the time I was actually a medical student and my professors mm -hmm. are like, why are you giving? You are going to go to another rotation. I said, well, but they asked me and they wanted to stay in touch. So anyway, so I learned early on that if you give people the way to communicate with you, they don't call you at three o'clock in the morning. They call you when you need, when yeah. they need to call you. Yeah. And if they need to call you, you're their doctor. So yeah. they should call you. And so what's wrong with that? That's awesome. And, you know, so people actually, when you give them the, the tools, they will feel at ease because they know there is always somebody there that will listen. Mm -hmm. And so there's never a downside to that. If I didn't want that, what did I go into medicine for? To ignore people? So, you know, for me, it was a no-brainer. I'm not, I don't think of myself as a hero. This is a minimum standard, in my opinion. I know I'm a little bit out there, but I don't care about that because I like that space. I like to be in the space where I have spent my whole career taking care of patients and I haven't once have anybody told me, you ignore my calls or you didn't answer or you forgot or, you know, I'm only human. I'm sure I may have made mistakes and I've been late on things for sure. but but the standard is different so yeah so your brother got a hold of me and um i could hear in his voice uh, the young the anxiety and the just the, the the whole tragedy of the situation and i thought to myself wow i gotta jump on this one right away this is a situation where this is a person and I had not spoken to you or Larry or anybody, you know, other than your brother. And I thought to myself, if I don't get control of this situation right now, if I don't provide the link to the future, there will be no future. Mm -hmm. So I recognize that in that conversation. And I, I uh, thank my parents for having provided me with all the opportunities they did for me to grow as a person to be able to capture that because they don't teach you that in medical school yeah you just have to have it or you have to cultivate it or something but and I already had it from my home mm -hmm. I had learned somehow that people are important and I I have the brains to make a difference in people's lives that concept yeah. is something I had since I was little and so then I cut you were the repository of that because I this is why I asked him can I call her mm -hmm. you know and can you give me her number and can I talk to your sister mm -hmm. and that's why I called you because yeah. I, I had to control the situation I thought that situation was not under control it wasn't <laughs> you're right, right. you're no, right it, it, yeah it was going off the edge of a cliff at that point yeah. Right, and, and the body knows that. So mm -hmm. there is no separation between the spirit, the body, the mind. It's all one thing. Yeah. Uh, there are lots of mysteries about how those things are interconnected that I don't purport to know. But uh, what I do know is that we are whole. Yeah. And if we break apart, and if somebody only takes care of one portion of us, they're really not taking care of us. And that was never my interest. I'm not interested in just the cancer. I'm interested in everything I do, everything I can possibly do to make somebody's life better. That's my job to do. 
And it really, you know, it's connected to medicine, of course, that's at the center of it, but it's not the only thing. So right. I was able to figure out that you were going to be in such a deep state of sadness and, and inconsolable. That's what I figured out. And I don't know if you were, but I think you did. You were there. You were close to close. there. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, I can provide lots of tools. I have lots of tools and I can at least tell her that, um, that we will fight together. Mm -hmm. And um, because your brother, you told me later, you, I don't believe your brother gave me a lot of the details of what had happened to you in your prior interactions. Right. So I didn't know that. If I had known that, I would have done exactly the same thing. But, sure. you know, but I, I figured it out without that, mm -hmm. that you didn't have hope. And hope is essential. Yes. There is, yeah. There is, we never cure anybody. Yeah, hope, hope sometimes, not all times, but hope sometimes is given. Not just, not just, yeah. a, a, you know, yeah. it needs to be given um, in some cases. In other cases, it's, you know, earned or re, re, realized. But in, in this case, you know, every, every bit of news was bad news and the results are well here. And then you came along and, and gave hope. Yeah. That's exactly what you did. And it gave something to do until... Yeah. <laughs> until you, you met her yeah yeah well something to do always you yeah. know because yes. it's a partnership and yes. um you know uh, as my joke goes you know as much as i would like everyone to do exactly what i say people have their own minds well and we spent a lot of episodes doing this and, and saying to people that we have no idea why heather's here right now we don't have the answer or that it wasn't necessarily that one thing that one medicine that timing of that medicine that surgery that that prayer and that's that, what everybody wants to know yeah, there it's, wasn't that but we also don't know one of those things could have been much more important than another but we still don't know that but i do know the power of the brain and the power of thought and the power of having hope and positivity and those things and that's that's the the road you started us on so we couldn't appreciate it more yeah, well, but thank you. Um, thank you very much. I mean, it means a lot to me and it moves me to the core. You're saying that even though you've said it multiple times and <laughs> I am so grateful for your uh, expressing such gratitude. Um, but I tell you what, um, it, it, one of the things that I did is I spent the whole week, first of all, I wanted, as you know, to find out about your family situation, yes. you know, because at this point, again, your brother was very discreet and didn't go on and on. And so if you remember, I, I wanted to ask you uh, who lives with you, what's yeah. going on in your life. Yeah. Marriage. Uh, yeah, marriage, yeah. children. I knew, I, I knew you had a, a toddler. <laughs> And so, and uh, so I knew there was extra, you know, tragedy there potentially mm -hmm. in terms of if things didn't go well, that, you know, there would be a child growing up without her mom. Yeah. And so anyway, there was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent the whole weekend figuring out what could be happening, you know. I thought a lot about your biology. I thought a lot about, because I figured you had a wonderful family uh, from what you told me. You had a strong, strong uh, faith. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you had a strong conviction that you can contribute to the treatment in many mm -hmm. ways that you needed guidance. So I knew that part was all in place and I just needed to harness it and bring it to the forefront. Um, you know, as, as you, as, as the head of your team, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the treatment, but there was the other part, which is what the hell is this cancer doing in a 26 year old? What yeah. he has no business to be doing this, that, that's this much damage in this terrible outlook. So what is going on? What could be happening? And, and what is the best way to attack it? So I started crafting in my mind, bringing everything I knew, reading some more, thinking mm -hmm. about it. Because, you know, I think a lot about my patients and I think about them so much that, you know, I remember their numbers. You know, every week I remember about 18, 20 patients, all the numbers. Mm -hmm. I remember all the numbers of every test and so on, because I think about them so much mm -hmm. that I repeat to myself different things in my brain. So, I mean, I have a certain way to think about people mm -hmm. and I just, you know, I'll always do that. So that weekend I thought a lot because on Monday I promised we would be killing cancer, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I needed to deliver for you. And so it wasn't, you know, I remember one of the other things that you said was you said that um, cancer didn't scare you, that you saw how it, that you, you know, that you understand how it works. And and for me, again, that was one of those things that I had no idea what this was, but it was it was so nice to hear that somebody else understood it and um, and that I could just focus on the the things that I could do to kind of, you know, build myself up. So I kind of, yeah. that's how I thought about it was like how I'll, I'll try to take the best care of my body and you can take care of killing the cancer itself, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we can work together. Right. And you know, even though we didn't have that scientific knowledge, then we now have the scientific knowledge to back up what I was thinking at the time. I was just educated. It was an educated guess, but never mm -hmm. underestimate educated sure. guesses because the patient in front of you is not gonna wait 20 years to get cancer. Yeah, They have cancer today. And if you do, do, do not do necessarily the very best thing for them because you didn't think it through, they're not gonna have 20 years. So mm -hmm. if you wanna give somebody 20 years, you better give it your all and leave nothing, you know, leave yourself on the floor, right? Right. You know, if you hold back and you're lazy, you know, you're not giving everything you can to give them decades of life. And so that's always been my philosophy. Did I win every time? No, I didn't, but I tried every time. So even though I have lost people, for sure, um, I don't believe I lost as many as I would have if I hadn't tried. And Absolutely. so it's still a save, you know? A Absolutely. Save. I mean, and I also like what when you're assessing a patient, a potential patient or whatever, you're you're looking at I I would imagine like drive, but also health in general. I mean, I was healthy. That was one of the things when you were talking about the no hope. It was almost like the previous oncologist was telling me, oh, your brain should go to you're really sick, you know? And I was literally thinking, going, I, I feel fine. I feel, yeah. I, I feel fine. My sternum hurts a little bit. Like, yeah. 
So it is kind of, you know, matching yeah. up that mind and body connection, both from your side and mine. Yeah. Well, you have to know, you know, I teach medicine uh, with, uh, with great pride at Michigan. I'm very proud to teach it. And one of the things I teach is, you know, don't screw up a 20-year-old because you will rob that person of 60 years of life, right? Mm -hmm. So they are supposed to live the lady. So if you make a crucial mistake in oncology, our mistakes or no mistakes, but again, just laziness, just not thinking it through or not putting your all into it. Don't put it all together. Just doing, just cancer, just write for the drugs and that's it. The patient right. is not about just the drugs. Yeah. So I teach them, you know, don't ever be lazy, but especially with young people, your mm -hmm. obligation is to give it your all and then some. Because that's 60 years of their life on your hands. Yeah. And, and I have no compunction about saying that. You know, I didn't get the greatest teaching evaluations <laughs> at times because people thought I expected too much. Okay. And I thought, no, you're at the University of Michigan. This is not too much. Yeah. So, you know, it, they didn't think it was too much. That's the way they keep me here and they tell me to teach you. So I guess yeah. this is what you well, need. <laughs> understanding kind of where people are coming from, I feel like is also the heart of healing and medicine. My brother and I have talked about this in different forms too, but, you know, uh, in all of the different ways, even as an occupational therapist, I want to know who my patient is and what's important to them or what drives them or tell me a story. Sometimes when you meet people, you're meeting them at their very worst. Right. <laughs> you're definitely meeting them in the worst time of their lives, yeah. right? Yeah. And they don't feel very seen as humans. They just mm -hmm. feel like they're a diagnosis. So I, that's yeah. such a huge part of all of this. Yeah, well, what, yeah, absolutely. What's been discovered though, and uh, that we now know, is that the patients we don't succeed as much as we could they have potentially dormant cells we call them persisters now mm -hmm. and we think that a lot of the things that you know i was telling you to do in those days uh, all of those things help the immune system kill or control these persister cells which is not the same things that kill active cancer cells. Mm -hmm. The other drugs that you got and the transplants you got kill the, the active cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So it's a different trick that yeah. kills those things than the kills the cells that are hiding, that yeah. are lurking about and they're not proliferating. So they're not giving any signals and therefore they are also not vulnerable to mm -hmm. the same drugs but they are very vulnerable to your immune system going and saying, you are screwed up. Your DNA is wrong. You die. So the immune system is supposed to take care. The immune system can't take care of a billion cells. If you have a tumor with a, a billion cells or 10 billion cells, the immune system says, okay, bye. I yeah. can't do it. Yeah. But when you have a few hundred thousand or a few million cells, the immune system does kill them. It's enough. It's the kind of job the immune system can do. Killing cancer is not like killing bugs. 
the immune system takes care of all of that, killing mm -hmm. all the bugs, all the viruses, bacteria. Yeah, it is amazing. It is just mm -hmm. a miracle, really. And but cancer is it, it's a it's a challenge for the immune system. And so, but these persister cells are some of the key reasons we now know people fail treatment five, 10, 20 years later, right? Mm -hmm. And these persister cells are kept in check or eliminated by good habits, by good lifestyle, by, by eating right, by exercise, by avoiding carcinogens that hurt immune systems, things like too much alcohol, tobacco, you know, but also sitting down, you know, sedentary lifestyle is the new smoking. Yeah. So, you know, you've always been athletes in your household and you've always been on the move. So I wasn't too worried about that. But I, if you remember, I was always encouraging that. Yeah. I didn't exactly know why, but I had a strong hunch that the immune system was benefiting from an, for a number of reasons we won't go into, uh, scientific reasons that are kind of, you know, mm -hmm. a little obscure, but um, I had a hunch about it. I didn't know all of it, but right. it has then in the last 26 years that or 24 years that mm -hmm. you've been, in, you know, with me, um, it has become clear. So if I hadn't thought of it then, I wouldn't have necessarily mentioned it. Most doctors don't mention it. And so right. that's what I'm trying to change when I talk to people is you have to mention it. Yeah. You know, not everyone is receptive, okay? I very, that that's something that gets talked about a lot in like on, you know, the Facebook groups and things like that. Like I'm not responsible for my cancer and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, but there is a, you know, let's, <laughs> I don't know if there's a relationship or- you know, yeah. I, I, I always thought of it as I want to do my part. I want to do my part. And it also was so just, again, at the very beginning, so empowering to feel like I wasn't just waiting to go get treatment every three weeks. I was, there was something I could be doing all the time. Every day. Exactly. Exactly. And I felt very strongly about that. Um, you know, I learned again, I learned that what, you know, observing my father who mm -hmm. unfortunately smoked himself to death. And, but I saw that, mm -hmm. you know, I saw that growing up, you know, mm -hmm. he smokes three packs a day, four packs a day, just ridiculous amounts of yeah. tobacco. And uh, so, so I watched all that and I could see, you know, how he was not at all engaged in, in making sure, of course, in those days, you know, there was still not enough knowledge, but he was a very smart man and very informed. And even, even I knew that there was new knowledge. So, you know, not everyone, but, but not everyone buys into exercise. Uh, but, but I feel that the pendulum is swinging. At the time you were diagnosed, if I had asked the patient, to exercise or lose some weight and so on i would do it in your case because you guys were so athletic i had no problem with it and you were so young mm -hmm. you know it was very easy conversation because you yeah. you fell right into it what can yeah. i do yeah green tea sure right. you know you were all over it you were right. on it 
and, and you, the two of you and your mom came to clinic and everybody in your friends. And yeah. so I could see there's a strong team here. This is going to happen. Yeah. And, and I knew then you would, I, I knew it in my mind's eye, in my soul. I knew you would live. I knew it. I well, just, that's, that's the vibe you gave us too. And whether yeah. you did or you didn't, you know, I, I can did. imagine you have some patients where you maybe are going, geez, I hope this works out. I, I I still think you just give that. And maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm not in those other rooms, but I, I've been in the room with you with her. And and you gave that confidence that mm-hmm. is almost unexplainable. Like it wasn't one word. It wasn't a sentence always. It was just uh, we walked out of there every time just going, all right, here we go. We can do this. Optim- yeah, optimism. Yeah, it's just I always say the same price, right? It's my yeah. little favorite silly words that I use, but I think about them. You know, like it's the same price. Just have hope. It doesn't cost extra because that yeah. hope means you are engaging different parts of your body that science hasn't figured out how to engage, mm-hmm. but you can control and I, we we control our body by our brain. So it's true that nobody should ever, ever be blamed, even if they, even like my poor father, right? Right, right. Uh, You know, who yeah, yeah. clearly smoked himself to that. I mean, there is no other explanation why a guy who weighed 125 pounds his whole life and, you know, otherwise yeah. took excellent care of himself. Right. he was sticking you know and never abused his body in any other way but in this one fundamental way he completely did you know there is no other explanation still that person is an addiction and shouldn't be blamed but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be advised what to do so if i have patients who need to lose 100 pounds i know they won't do as well and only they are sitting in front of the food at the table or whatever they are eating. And I can't control that. All I can do is gently give advice. And I know for sure they are not going to have as good outcomes as the right. as they themselves if they just lost a little. A little at a time, very gently. Nothing, no, no you know, fat shaming or anything like that. God knows, you know, I spent a fair amount of my life being overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't want to, even like most other people. But, right. you know, I I was not perfect, right? And yeah. But, I, you know, but I always tried. And I was never mad if somebody suggested I should do it. Yeah. Um, and so, but some patients do resist it. And that's fine. You know, I just uh, do go as far as I can. Because you know they have to, you have to have a team. Nothing is more important than the team. So the relationship is very important. You wanted to talk about that. You know, I can I, I can't afford to lose somebody in the relationship because then I'm just I'm just giving the drugs and checking for side effects and I'm not a real doctor really. I can't mend people mm-hmm. if they if we are not a team. And yes. so if there is resistance, I go as far as I can, but I will never damage a relationship. I will never damage it, no matter what it is. Sure. I will, uh, you know, I'll work it out. I, ha- I, I can always think of something. Yeah. Um, 
I was just thinking about too, one of the things in our relationship, but it was all everybody, it was the nurses and everyone uh, early on when I was like, I don't want to know everything. So, and I didn't really want to know side effects. I didn't want to know where all my Mets were. I, all of those things I knew were going to be damaging to me. And, and we were able to kind of come to that kind of understanding very quickly. <laughs> well, it's yeah. because of the power of this, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and it did matter to her. And that's what works for her. Where others, I get it's not, but, and I know you guys have a responsibility of informing a patient, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, le I learned again as a medical student, um, I would be in a room uh, with a patient and her husband or partner or friend. And then the the second person in the room, not the patient, would say, "Well, what what is her prognosis? What's the average life expectancy of somebody?" And I learned even as a medical student, I was very young, but I had already figured this mm -hmm. out. And I would say, "Well, we can step outside, uh, and I can talk to you about it because." the patient's not really asking me that question unless yeah. the patient, but I didn't want the patient to have to then say to the friend or the husband, Oh, um, you are right. I should know that. I didn't want to, I wanted the patient to feel that she's in control of the information, mm -hmm. but I, but this other, but, but she brought this other person in the room. I didn't ask them to bring them. Right. Yeah. So that's all under her control. Right. Of course, I welcome everyone in the room that fit, but yeah. you know, I, I don't want to answer the question to person B when the patient's not asking. And, do and you so feel I like, learned that. So smart. Do you feel like there's too much information out there? Do you feel it like, can be. Yeah. I come I mean, for some people. Available now. I mean, <laughs> compared for to some people. Yeah. I mean, even just like as I was getting scans back, and this this has changed so much now, and I'm even seeing the newest trend with the portals is kind of like uh there's actually sort of a warning saying you, you know, if you don't want this information or if you want to wait until your doctor you see your doctor first, which I think is fantastic. Right. But I I learned like I couldn't, I needed to go through scans with you. Yeah. And again, very just top level. I still reading a scan. It's, I it's mean, scary. you can make everything sound scary. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer that. I yeah. prefer that people don't check their own. Yeah. Yes. I always prefer that. And, but in this day of information, I can tell you our side of the story is that if I want to embargo anything, I have to give up a firstborn to do that. It is extremely hard. Okay. In mm -hmm. the olden days, I, you know, I we you know, you just didn't see the report. No. Yeah. But nowadays, if I want to embargo somebody's report because the patient has either asked me or I'm concerned for the patient's safety, if yeah. they find something out, um the number of steps I have to go through doesn't matter. I've been there for 30 years, yeah. taking care of thousands of patients. They still don't trust me. Mm -hmm. It's not on my word. There is a whole process. I'm not saying the process is wrong. I always follow the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. 
But I am shocked sometimes how hard it is to keep this information until the time where I can at least have a phone call or a Zoom call or something where they can see my face, they can see, I can explain things. Uh, Yeah, and I've been telling people who reach out to me that for years too, like, you know, again, this stuff, it, one, medical terminology around cancer sounds really scary, even if it's a good scan a lot of times, you know, and just there's so much, um, I realized that I was putting myself through this roller coaster that was unnecessary, you know, before I even got to you. And the emotional toll of that was so much. And I mean, I mostly had good scans, but even, you know, even that is a lot. But the lay person wouldn't know that reading the results. Right. Right. But where cancer has been, it's never a perfect scan, right? Right. So, and you you know, cancer was in your body. And yeah, but so the difference is, between somebody reading the scan that says there was a moderate uptake or a, a small, you know, they use different words. And, yes. and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and we get to you and you're like, no, there is nothing. And we're, we just go, oh. <laughs> that's happened multiple times where it's been level 10 freak out from ours because we did read or hear or during the scan and we get to you and it's like, no. No, it's fine. What what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. And it's just been a, just a, a breath of, oh gosh. Yeah. Well, Multiple thank times. you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But you know, I, I think the, the I think the, the meaning of information, information for the sake of information, it's not all that useful to the patient, I think. I, agree. I totally think the agree. meaning, the interpretation, the context mm-hmm. is and also the kindness. You know, there is there is something about the conveyance of information uh, from a doctor to a patient and vice versa yes. that entails a, a, a an, an affection, that mm-hmm. entails a relationship. There is affection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you care about somebody's life. They they became they came into your circle. When you right. are a doctor, people come into your circle. Trust. Hundreds of people. Trust. Yeah, and so they are in. They are now people you care about, and people you care about you. You have to interpret yeah. the the innermost worrisome aspects of their life. When, well, and the, when the, somebody the things that can cancer. change everything, right? The the yeah. the things that can change set you on a different course again, right? Yeah, it's super I want, important. I, yeah, I want them always for me. You know, what I told I tell you is how I try to live. Every day counts. Mm-hmm. So every day I can make it a good day for somebody, even just in a small way. Whatever mm-hmm. my contribution can be, I must make it. Mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, you know, communication, kindness, consideration, thoughtfulness, those are qualities that people should seek in a doctor. That yeah. is not too much to ask, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, it's true. You can go to 50 people. It's not a beauty contest, right? But you have to kind of gauge that to yeah. some extent. You're entitled to that. And uh, when you have cancer, you need that. Yeah. You know, it is like I'm fond of saying to the students, it's not the common cold, guys. You yeah. know, people are not going to get over it if you don't help it. 
Yeah. And so you have a job to do. Many diseases that can be quite serious. And the only thing people need is a bit of a handholder and a bit of support, a little steroids, a little antibiotics, a little fluids, mm-hmm. a little, a few electrolytes. And usually you can pull them through. With yeah. cancer, it's a lot more. It's all that. And then there is a the real cure. And with the most toxic drugs on the planet, you know, it's a tall order. This is not a specialty for people who just uh, don't have their heart in it. It's just too much. It's too much to deal with. And um, so, you know, for your listeners, you know, the most important thing is that they have this hope that they are active participants as you have been. And they do their best, you know, they try their best and they know that they ha- they they find somebody they can trust. Yeah, I agree. Hey everyone, we're gonna stop here for this week and pick up again with Dr. Mariver next week. Thanks so much for joining us and I hope you enjoyed um, Dr. Mariver and uh, found something valuable in all that her insights and we'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still here after all these years, after all these tears I shed. I'm still here and I'm walking this earth like I should be. There was days that I didn't know if I would be. My feet in the ground and my head in the clouds Cause I'm still here Like I should be Yeah, yeah, like I knew that I could be Here we go, here we go Hey everyone, I hope you love this episode of I'm Still Here and I wouldn't want you to miss out on what comes next. So be sure to rate, review, and follow this show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, especially if you found it helpful. We need all the shares, likes, stars, and love we can get. We'd also love to hear from you. Leave your comments and questions and we'll incorporate them into future episodes. Have a great day.